I feel pretty locked in right now. Just part of a really good lineup and trying to do my part to get on base. And if I get on base, I feel like we're in a good shape to score runs. Flip, that was DJ LeMahieu talking to reporters Wednesday night following his four for five performance against Atlanta. And when he says he's pretty locked in, in quotes, pretty locked in, that has to be the understatement of the year. Am I right? Yeah, actually, the understatement of the last two years because, you know, he was as locked in as you could be last season. He was among the top finishers for the MVP, and, and well, he should have been. He had an un unbelievable season for the Yankees. And, you know, it seems like he's picked up right where he left off last year. So but he has been a machine. But that's a nickname that is, you know, that's a real nickname that sticks and is very apt because uh, he has been that. And uh, he's uh, – He's a, he's a terrific player all around. He's a good defender. He's, he runs the bases well, and uh, you can't get him out as a, as a, in the batter's box. You cannot get him out. There, we showed a spray chart the other day on, yes, uh, one of those, that shows you, you know, where a player hits the ball around the field, and he hits it to left, he hits it to center, he hits it to right. That's why you can't shift him, so you can't put shifts on him. That's one of the reasons his batting average is what it is, because you can't shift against him, because he hits the ball everywhere. Just so everybody knows what we're working with here, let me give you his numbers real quick. 431 batting average that leads the American League. The next highest is Bobachet at 352. So that's an 80 point swing. Can LeMahieu hit 400? I don't see why not. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, listen, if it was easy to do, somebody would have done it since, you know, Ted Williams did it in the 1941. I guess it was right, 406 and 41. I think that's what he did it. So, I mean, that's a really long time ago, folks. It just is. So, I mean, and one or two people have come close. George Brett comes to mind. But maybe in a shortened season, it's possible. Uh, but uh, if you're asking me, could he hit 400 in a shortened season? The answer is yes, he could. He very well might. A 479 on base percentage. That also leads the American League. Next highest is Carlos Santana at 430. 1.048 OPS. Well, because of where he hits also, you know, in the lineup, the Yankee lineup is so deep and so protected that you, you have to pitch to him. You can't really pitch around him. So that really actually works to anybody who can, who can who has a good eye and can take pitches and can work walks and also can swing the bat the way he can because you get on base, he gets on base. Anybody gets on base leading up to, you know, to the, 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 uh, the strength of the, to the middle of that lineup, which is unbelievable. So you look at the lineup the Yankees have, there's no outs. Everybody protects everybody else. One batter leads to the next. So when you have a hitter like LeMayu, who has such a discerning eye, such a terrific swing and hits the ball everywhere, you know, it really plays to his favor. LeMayu being LeMayu basically reiterated or said exactly what you were saying on Wednesday night. He's like, listen, guys, I'm pretty locked in right now, but the lineup around me is amazing. What do you, what do you expect? There are other great players who have the lineup around them, and they're, but then they're not hitting 431. Right. So right. I mean, there's a modesty here at work, and he's also a different kind of hitter than some other. Some other. He's power. He has power. He hits home runs, and uh, but you know he's not. That's not his goal. His goal is to just hit the ball where it is, get on base, and and, and take it from there. Uh, if he hits a home run, it's a byproduct of, of being a really good player and getting a pitch to hit. But uh, you know, I mean, he really has no weaknesses up there as a hitter. He has none. I mean, so only four players have a better OPS. Uh, one of them is Aaron Judge. I want to talk about him. But first, let's introduce ourselves. Or should we tell people to rate, review, subscribe? Rate, review, subscribe. I'm DJ LeMayu. This is Kevin <laughs> Sullivan. No, I'm, I'm John Filippelli. President of production and programming, John Filippelli. How are you today? I'm okay. I'm, uh, you know, we're uh, taking it day by day with uh, the pandemic. And 
And but you know, so far so good. It's it's you know, the world is faced with the challenge. Everybody's faced with the challenge, and we've said this many times on this on this show before. And you know, and our job is we're not there to save the world. All we are there is give people some distraction to, so they can deal with this better. They people turn to their heroes. They sport fans love the Yankee fans love their team, and anything that we could do to you know take them closer to that team or give them a uh, you know give them some relief and. and uh, from your know, service of distraction during all this time, which is so difficult, then, then if we do that, then we've done our jobs, you know, so that's our, that's our goal. And that's what we're trying to do. Certainly challenging. Like you said, as I say, week after week, it's also rewarding when we're able to entertain people with Yankees baseball. So let's talk about judge though, as promised. Uh, let me give you some numbers like we did with LeMayhew 290. That's a nice batting average. Mm-hmm. Nine home runs leads mm-hmm. all of baseball. Mm-hmm. 20 RBI leads all of baseball. 1.101 OPS. Now, that's amazing. If he's on the field, he is the best player on that field. And he, he can dominate like no other. With his bat, with his glove, with his legs. I mean, there's nothing There's nothing Aaron Judge can't do as a baseball player. Nothing. And if anybody thinks that, uh, that uh, you know, he's a replaceable, he's not. He's a really hard piece to replace. He's a very deep, talented outfielder. But, you know, Judge is the... Uh, Judge is also the leader in that clubhouse. Judge is, judge is the player. And uh, if he's in that lineup, when he's in, the Yankees are a very different team when he's in it as opposed to when he's not. He's got to stay on the field. Stay on the field. You say it all the time. Um, I know you got a tattoo on your left arm. Stay on the field. Right there carry it is. The Just carry the one. Just carry <laughs> the one. Stay on the field. The thing about Judge that's incredible is obviously – uh, his, his all-around talent is like it, it blows you away how, how good a player he really is. But you look at that Yankee lineup, it's, it's so deep. You can't – what are you going to do? You, you don't want to be beaten by Judge. If you're an opposing pitcher, you sit there and you say, I'm not going to let this guy beat me. Okay, so you don't let him beat you. Say you give him nothing to hit, he walks, or you, you, let, you get ahead and you expand the zone, maybe get him out. But then you've got the rest of this lineup to contend with. And it's so, so very deep, so very deep. But, you know, we had talked about other times somewhere in, in our, some of our other shows that you look at players who, are, who haven't been able to, you know, crack the starting lineup, whether that be Frazier, you know, whether it be, you know, Ford or Frazier and Duhar. Uh, and how many teams in the game would just absolutely die to get those three guys and put them in the middle of their lineup. I mean, you put those three guys in the middle of the lineup, they're going to score a lot of runs with those guys. You just are. And, 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 and the Yankees are so deep that these guys are sort of, you're sort of uh, not languishing, but you know, it's, it's hard for them to find playing time. And if they do, they, they're, they're impact players. That shows you how deep the Yankee team really is. Yeah, it's not just the lineup. It's the bench. It's the alternate site, which we're learning. You know, you give rest to Judge one day, and Clint Frazier comes in and hits all these. Yeah. I mean, lights it, up the world. He's grown up. He's, he's you know, he's grown. He, his problem was his maturity. He wasn't grown up. But it seems like, the, you know, the, the up and down of the minors has given him a perspective. And he's, he's you know, he's grown up. Look, he's a young kid. I mean, you're, you're in your early 20s. You're not going to have all the answers to the world. And, uh, but he's learning that, uh, you know, he's learned a lot of things about, uh, about discipline. And he's learned a lot of things about, uh, you know, uh, how to handle himself in, in, in the big leagues. And, and, uh, and I mean, the talent is there. The talent is absolutely there. You watch him. That bat is so quick. He's got such great, great, great 
bat speed. I mean, you watch him whip that bat through the zone and you see why he generates the power that he generates. So he, he can hit, he can play, you know, he's working on defense. Defense is not a strong suit for him. He's got a few holes there, but, but he really is. He, he can be a, a very interesting piece for the Yankees going forward. And he's also injury insurance for them. You know, judge gets hurt or Stanton is hurt. And, and uh, you know, you've got Hicks and Gardner. Gardner's an older player. So you don't know the outfield is healthy. You know, you got Talkman too. So, but, but Frazier gives them a nice insurance chip. He just does. And if he keeps hitting the way he's hit the first two games since he's been up, he'll find a, he'll find a spot every day. Well, Flip, I know our guest this week has a lot of thoughts on Clint Frazier. What do you think? Should we get to Jack Curry? I think we should get there right now. What do you think? Let's do it. Oh, wait. Rate, review, subscribe. Rate, review, subscribe. Welcome back to Curtain Call. John Filippelli, Kevin Sullivan. Our very special guest at this time is Jack Curry. Uh, you know him from the pre- and post-game shows on Yes, and you know him as a uh, also in a role of reporter, which he's done so incredibly well over his career, which was uh, isn't just Yes. Uh, he's in his 11th year at Yes, but he spent 22 years at the New York Times, and he was the national baseball writer there. So that's, that's quite a title, and uh, he did some incredible work uh, through those years. And uh, he's also a best-selling author, a best-selling author with David Cohn on Full Count and with Derek Jeter on The Life You Can Imagine. So two very interesting books. And uh, and well done, well read, and bestseller. So at this time, I welcome in Jack. Jack, how are you? Flip, I'm doing well. I appreciate being on this Curtain Call podcast. I've listened to other episodes. It's one of my favorite podcasts. I like the job that you and Kevin do. So I appreciate getting called up from the uh, on deck circle to be on this podcast. Kev, remind me, memo to me, uh, raise for Jack. <laughs> I told you I like the podcast. I got to give Jack a raise now. All right. So, Jack, how are you faring now and uh, with the, the pandemic? I appreciate you asking, Flip. I think, like everyone, it's turbulent. It's something that you haven't had to deal with before. I would say we've been reasonably fortunate that most of the people in our life have been safe throughout all of this. I know from a work perspective, having spoken to both you and Kevin during all of this, I'm very happy with the work that Yes did during the quarantine, all of our Yes, We're Here uh, content. I think I interviewed about 25 ex-Yankees. So from a work perspective, I I had to find something to do. I'm, I'm not the type who can just sit around. So I'm glad that Yes offered us that. And Flip, now that we've been back, I mean, I've seen you in the studio. I know it's not the form of baseball that we're used to, but... I was relieved to see baseball again. I was relieved to have the opportunity to sit in the studio, cover the games. And even before that, to cover those summer camp workouts, I thought that was a blast. There were some days where we were on the air for four and a half hours and we were talking about pitchers fielding practice or bunting drills. And I think that was just a credit to yes, uh, how much we wanted to make sure we brought viewers and fans into what the Yankees were doing to prep for the season. The overview speaks to the responsibility as broadcasters that we have to our fans, which is to, you know, especially in times of difficulty and times of crisis, uh, people want what is familiar. They want, they want to, you know, they want their heroes. They want to escape. Um, and all those things are very natural. They're very understand. It's very understandable. And, uh, and uh, so if we gave people a little bit of relief through, through the crisis, then, uh, then, then we did, we did our jobs and we, and we did them well. And, uh, uh, it's it's uh, it was a tough it was a tough thing because of the environment of the world 
uh, the environment of the country, obviously the environment of the industry, the industry that we're in. So to get this kind of work done that everyone working from home and, you know, trying to, uh, you know, coordinate. I mean, I Zoom was, I didn't know what a Zoom call was. And now I'm there like 14 hours of my day, every day is Zoom. So yeah, we had a lot of work to do, Jack, but we, uh, you know what the good thing is, we have great people, I guess. And uh, we have people who are dedicated and people who uh, want to roll up their sleeves and contribute any way that we can. And what we contributed to the world was, you know, minuscule really in the big scheme of things. But if we gave people some comfort and some distraction, then I think we should be, you know, happy with that and and, uh, and look forward to a better day. I couldn't agree with you more. And I've always been proud to be a part of Yes, but even prouder during these difficult times. And you're right, with what is going on in the world and 160,000 people have perished, we're, we're a small part of that. But Flip, I'm sure you get this. I'm sure Kevin gets this. I can't tell you how many friends and family have said to me, I saw your interview with Mariano Rivera going over a game from 1995. Do you know how much I miss baseball? I sat there riveted for two hours. I saw that piece that you guys put together talking to the Yankees, 90s dynasty guys. I love those teams, and you brought me back. People missed baseball so much that we were, I think, providing a service by being able to give folks that content. Jack, now that baseball's back, Yankees fans turn on yes, and they see oftentimes you're recording or shooting right from your office, your home office. That in mind, what has been the biggest adjustment having to do that shift to your home office as opposed to the studio? That's a great question, Kevin, and I did it for the last week or so. I was in the studio for about the first two weeks. John Flaherty was at home, and then we flip-flopped. And I think the biggest adjustment is – eliminating anxiety. I think both of you guys have seen me on the floor in the studio. I'm not a nervous guy. I, I really am excited for the shows. I'm ready to go. But being at home where it's my job to turn on that camera and then I have to hope that the IFB works and everything went seamlessly and smoothly. But I remember telling Pamela, my wife, before every show, I'm, I was just a little more anxious and hoping that everything sounded correct that there wasn't a long delay between me saying something and then hearing something from Bob. And honestly, Kevin, after a few days that evaporated and, and I got comfortable with it. And credit to our folks at Yes, to be able to turn my office, which is usually a lot messier, I have to keep it clean now, into a place where I can contribute to the pregame and the postgame. You have our research staff sending out the highlights and it, it really did go very smoothly. How about during the game? I know from being just a few doors down, you and Bob like to watch the game together in his luxurious office. Um, I'll pop in every now and then, and I'll just listen. You guys are talking about what you want to do in the post game. Now that's essentially eliminated, right? Or you're just watching the game on your own. Watching the game on my own, but even though this is a podcast, you guys can see me. I still have my scorebook, and I still take voluminous notes at home. And it was funny, I, I teased Pamela about that. She was saying to me, oh, can, can I watch the game with you? And I said, you can watch the game, but I'm going to watch it the way you would, you would watch someone uh, very intently. Let's just leave it that way. So I usually f eventually would find a quiet place in my home to watch it. And I'm texting with uh, Jared, our, Jared Boschnack, our producer during the game. And Kevin and Flip, you guys know this. We work with such talented people that there's not a storyline that's going to sneak by us. We all pretty much know when a game is finished, 
here's the three, four, five things that we really want to cover. Sometimes I might emphasize a point and say, hey, Jared, um, I really love that at-bat where Cole started out down 2-0, and then remembered he could get this guy on a slider, threw two sliders, then threw a high fastball. Can we do a pitch-by-pitch? So a lot of communication during the game, but you're right, different when you're not in the studio. Jack, you're an on-air uh, talent. You've been a, a report clubhouse reporter. You're a best-selling author. Um, they're all different. They're different skills. They're different disciplines. Of, of those disciplines that we just talked about, I just mentioned, do you have a favorite or, or, or are they all the same to you? I'm not just saying this now because you're my boss and you hired me to do this, but I love being in the studio and analyzing games. I love the fact that Michael Kay and David Cohn, Paul O'Neill, whoever finishes up a game, when they throw it to the studio, we get the first chance to talk about what just happened. Even before an Aaron Boone is going to analyze the game or dissect the game, we get a chance to say, here's what we just saw. I love that. I love the immediacy of that. I love the pressure of that. It's similar to when I was a, a baseball writer and you're writing the game on deadline. And I thought that that excitement couldn't be replaced. And I've found out that the excitement of live TV has heightened that pressure even more, but I like that pressure. Writing a book that has its own form of pressure, but the deadline is usually a little longer and you have a little more time to sift through some pages and figure out what you want to do. When a game ends, you better have 90 seconds of, of interesting analysis on what you just saw. And it can't be just a reciting stats. Here's what happened in this game. Here's why Garrett Cole was so important to the Yankees winning today. And you want to know what today's most important at-bat was? It was the seventh inning. And Chad Green came into the game with two men on, and he did X. So I, I take a lot of pride in being able to boil that down into a 90 seconds or two minutes of, of insightful commentary. 33 years. Is it safe to say you've done thousands of interviews? Yes? 100%. Very safe to say that. Best interview and best quote? That's a great question, Flip. Best interview, I, I have to go with David Cohn. That's why I wanted to write a book with him, because David took you to places that maybe even your question didn't, didn't deserve that answer. David's answers were so good. They, even if your question deserved a, a ranking of a five, your answer always was a 10. So that's what I loved about David. I would put Mariano Rivera right up there, Flip, because I, I thought Mariano turned every conversation, every interview into a conversation. And you could go to his locker and just want to ask him about a game, and suddenly he would be embracing it and turning it into a conversation. Best, best quote is tough because I can't think of, of one specific quote, but it probably would have been something for one of those gentlemen. And I, I'm a pitching geek too, Flip. So as much as hitting is so vital in the game, I love to talk pitching. And, and both of those gentlemen, I, I feel, were, were great resources to talk about pitching. I know you know this cold. But when you talk pitching with David Cohn, you still learn something every second, do you not? Flip, I did 42 interviews with Coney for our book. And after every interview... I said to myself, not only did I learn one thing, I learned a handful of things. Sometimes I learned 10 things. I, I've interviewed Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, Oral Hershiser, CeCe Sabathia, Andy Pettit, very, very smart and accomplished pitchers. 
couple of Hall of Famers in there. CeCe's going to the Hall of Fame. I, I'm not saying I have a bias towards David. I'm not sure I've ever met anyone who was ob obsessed with pitching as David Cohn is and, and thought about it 24-7. And for instance, I'll give you a quick example, and this is not meant as a slight to CeCe Sabathia, but I've asked CeCe about going through an at-bat and were you thinking two, three, four pitches ahead? And CC said, no, I, I really wanted to focus on the next pitch and whatever happened with that pitch, then I would figure out what I was going to do with the next pitch. Cone was so advanced flip that he was thinking about, okay, on this one, one pitch, I'm going to throw a slider. that's going to break off the plate. It's either going to get a swing and miss or a foul. And then I'm going to be ahead one and two. Like he was thinking two, three, four pitches ahead. Do a lot of pitchers do that? Yes, they do. I'm not sure they did it to the extent that David did it. Going with the current Yankees team, what have you seen out of Garrett Cole so far this season? I know he's seemed to have uh, been a bit of a grinder, but getting the job done. I, I think you said it well, Kevin. I don't think we've seen the best of Garrett Cole, which is a tribute to him that he has still pitched as effectively as he had has. I think he's had to grind and fight his way through some starts. I think there have been some games where his pitch count has gotten a little higher than he wanted it to. His, his last start was evidence of that. But there is absolutely more to come from him. He's such a student of the game. When I talk about being obsessed with pitching, I think Cole fits right into that as well. And he's got such an arsenal of pitches. The, the four-seam fastball that, that he became interested, much more interested in throwing when he got to the Astros such a, a vital weapon for him, but he's got the two breaking pitches. And then Kevin, I've just also observed how much of a leader he is. And this goes all the way back to spring training that he is, he is the leader of the show and he's bringing Gary Sanchez along with him. He wants a co-pilot, but you see him during games talking to Gary Sanchez in the dugout about pitch sequencing, probably about where Gary is set up about ways they want to attack different hitters. I, I've just been very, very impressed with him but also knowing that there's, that there's more to come. And in this shortened season, will, will we absolutely see the best of Garrett Cole? I think we will. I think by the time the Yankees are in position to get to the playoffs, I think we're going to see the best of Garrett Cole. And if you're the Yankees, that's what you're hoping for. You, you want him to be at his best in September and October. There, if there is a question about the Yankees, obviously it's really not their offense. It's really not their bullpen. Uh, it would be about starting pitching, but not Cole, obviously. It would be whoever slots after Cole. You know, that would be sort of, right, Tanaka. That would be, you know, Paxton. That would be Montgomery. And it, there was reason to be really good because based on their last timeout, their last starts, all three looked pretty good. I think you have to bank on that flip, especially Paxton, that after the back surgery, after the delay, he came back and he just wasn't feeling right. He talked about needing to stand a little taller on the mound, that he wasn't finishing his pitches. I think in his last start against Tampa Bay, we finally saw the Paxton that the Yankees believe they have. So going forward, I think their hope is that he will be that guy. I, I thought that Tanaka so far this year, after getting hit in the line drive in the head by uh, Stanton, he's been on a little bit of a pitch count. So his his grade is almost a little incomplete, even though he, he has looked good at times, really good at times. And then Jordan Montgomery, I think for me, Flip and Kevin, is, is, the, is the stock that you're, that you're purchasing and believing you're going to get some high dividends on that. 
I think Jordan Montgomery is underrated. I think people forget about him because of the Tommy John surgery. I love his mix of pitches. I love his ability to compete. His velocity is up. And then another part of him that I don't think gets talked about enough, pitchers get comf- batters get comfortable with facing pitchers and similar type pitchers. There aren't a lot of guys who are like Jordan Montgomery. He's 6'6", so when he releases the ball, he's releasing it at about seven feet. Guys don't throw from up there. He throws from over the top, and I think that helps add to his deception. So I think Montgomery is someone to bet high on for the Yankees this year. Switching gears a little bit, uh, Jack. Last week we had Michael Kay on, and we talked a little bit about how well the Orioles actually were playing, believe it or not. And uh, fast forward one week, and they're still playing well. I don't think it's too early to talk about the playoffs. Can this team actually make the playoffs? I, I must admit, Kevin, and, and right, we say it's early, but teams have played to this point, what, about 20%? More than that, maybe. 20 30% of the season. I mean, the Orioles are, have played 17 of 60 games, so whatever that works out to be. Uh, it's, it's interesting to me, and I have to say that I'm shocked. I don't believe in their pitching. I believe they have some capable offensive players. I mean, Hanser Alberto has, has, has performed very well for them. Can they keep it going throughout this season? I'm going to say if the Orioles could ever end up finishing as a 500 team, that would be quite an accomplishment. I just don't see it over the long haul. I think things are going to trail off for them, but you have to give them a lot of credit that to this point, they have been a very competitive team. They certainly are fun to watch, Jack. How about Clint Frazier? I want to go back to the Yankees a little bit. Great first impression, really came out swinging. What does he have to do to stay in this lineup? Oh, Kevin, exactly what he has done. Now, obviously, you're not going to hit a home run and get three hits in every start that you have, but when he came up, I was on the pregame show with Bob Lorenz and John Flaherty, and I said, here's your chance to make things uncomfortable for the Yankees. Make it difficult for them to send you back down. We don't know how long Giancarlo Stanton is going to be out, so go out there and have a terrific run so that when they next have to make a roster move, they say, wait a second, we can't afford to live without this guy. We need this guy in our lineup. And I've been very impressed going all the way back to spring training with Frazier's maturity level. I had a conversation with him by his locker and we were talking about his offense and some changes he had made in his swing. And after about 10 minutes, he said, well, we all know my offense isn't the problem. It's my defense. And I need to make sure I show them that I can be a competent outfielder. And I thought for him to say that before I ever even brought up a question about defense was very mature. And then I think throughout his interviews now, even when he was sent to the alt site, I think he showed a real level of maturity. He's talked about stop being a GM, stop trying to be a GM, just go out there and be a player. And Clint Frazier is a major league player. He just happens to be on a team filled with a lot of talented major league players. There are a lot of teams that would love to have Clint Frazier in their outfield right now, hitting in the middle of their order. Clint is on the Yankees. He has to figure out a way to make sure that the Yankees keep him on their roster. How many teams that you could go around? I could, off the top of my head, I could probably name six or seven, maybe more. You look at the middle of the orders and you say, eh, okay, but if you could put in the middle of the order, say, and Duhar, Frazier, Ford, or a combination of the three, okay, how many teams would that be such a dramatic upgrade in their offense to put those three guys 
in in the middle of their order, and 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 the Yankees are having trouble, obviously, for find trying to find playing time for the three of them. It shows speaks to the depth of the team. You bring up a great point, Flip, and I I mentioned this on one of our pregames that one of the ways I think to grade a team's depth is to do exactly what you just did. Where would Mike Ford be on Team X? Where would Ann Duhar be on Team Y? And where would Clint Frazier be on Team Z? And you're, you're right. They'd be getting, in a regular season, 500 plate appearances and would be the starter and would not be fighting for at-bats as they are here. So the Yankees do have a very solid bench, a lot of depth. And not only does that help them, I think, obviously win games, but I think it pushes the guys who are in front of those players. Mike Ford can push Luke Voigt, who's off to a strong start himself and who has five home runs already. And, and Duhar can push Gio Urshela, who has been terrific for the Yankees. And the same with Frazier involving Talkman and, and Duhar. The guys who play the best and produce the best are, are going to be the ones who get the ABs. Uh, we, we've tried in these podcasts, Kevin and I, to not only obviously have interviews with people that we think would be obviously interesting to talk about the Yankees, to talk about baseball, to talk about the world, but we've also tried to uh, incorporate people who uh, who are in media. Uh, we've uh, and we're trying to do more of that. And when we get people in media, we always ask them the same question. We hopefully we try to ask them different questions, but the question that we have in common with them, and we ask all the time, is. Uh, where were you when you first heard that the Yankees were starting their own television network? Do you remember where you were? And what was your impression of that? Well, I clearly was still working at the Times. So it wouldn't have been a total surprise, I don't think, Flip, because I, I think that had probably trickled out. My story is this. In 98 or, 90, 98 or 99, I was the baseball chapter chairman for the New York baseball writers. So at that annual dinner every Jan February, you're, you're the MC. And one of those years, 98 or 99, or 99 or 2000, it was one of those years, George Steinbrenner sat next to me. And he talked a lot about the internet and what became MLB.com. And he talked a lot about having his own television network. So I wanna go all the way back to then that in my mind, I heard this kernel of information from George Steinbrenner and thought, wow, that, that makes a lot of sense for the Yankees. And you, you think of their brand and you think of how popular they are. Now, at that point, I, I guess the Cubs and the Braves were teams that had WGN and TBS. Superstations, yeah. Right. So the Yankees, I guess I would go back to then, Flip, a couple of years before it ever became a reality knowing George Steinbrenner in the middle of a dinner, just saying that to me. And I probably should have been a better reporter and continued to ask him questions about that. And maybe I would have broken the story about the day yes was created and you were scribbling shows on a napkin somewhere. Show ideas. That's true. That's what we did back in the day. We put them on napkins because they were portable, easy to get around. And I remember being in his office and he's, I pulled out a napkin. He says to me, what's that? You got to blow your nose? I said, no, it's, I said, I've got my notes in it. What's wrong with you? You write your notes on, you write notes on a napkin? Who writes notes on a napkin? I said, well, I do. So, uh, yeah, those were interesting days for sure, interesting times. Uh, I, I know the first time, I, and I, I've told this story before, it was Bobby Mercer asked me, he said, uh, 
did you hear this thing about the Yankees starting their own television network? And I said, no, I was around the field and watching some BP. And I said, no, I, I, I hadn't. And he said to me, uh, what do you think about it? I didn't even hesitate. I said, I think it's a great idea. Yeah. I said, it's a great idea. You know, I, I said, but it's, it's a lot of work. And I don't know if people realize how much work something like that would be. But we had that discussion. And I remember, uh, you know, Bobby was the first one who, uh, who, that I heard it from. So it's interesting. Yeah, it really is. And all these years later, the, the success of it and being a part of it is, is, a, is a dream, I think, for all of us. I, you, you brought me over to this side, Flip. I, I thought I'd be a newspaper guy my entire life. And you were a big part of the reason that I wanted to work at Yes. And I don't even know if you remember telling me this, but you said, take whatever you used to write in the New York Times and just bring it over to Yes. And if you wrote a 900 word column, take the three or four best notes, anecdotes, thoughts you had in that column and bring those into the pregame and you'll be fine. And I still, I still operate that way. I still think that way of, okay, pregame's a half an hour with commercials. It's, it's less than that. What are the three or four or five things I need to say to make sure that I'm helping our viewers understand this game a little better? I have one last one, Jack, and this is one of the things I'm obsessing over for some reason. You know, what does digital, for example, look like post-pandemic? You know, we've learned a lot of what we can do over the past several months. Uh, so my question to you would be, what do you think the beat's going to look like post-pandemic? I think one of the things we're learning is maybe guys don't go to away games all the time now that we have this Zoom. Kevin, it's a great question, and we probably could do an entire show on that, and we'd all be speculating and forecasting and trying to predict the future, but I think we'd be predicting the future with some, some bit of intelligence and, and what we've seen in front of us. I think you're right. For instance, they had a bad night in Boston, and you couldn't make it to Fenway Park, and you covered the game off TV. You would be a pariah amongst your peers that you – that you didn't go to the game, that you, it's called writing from his couch. So-and-so wrote from his couch today. But now with the pandemic, a large portion of us have had to cover games from home. So what do media entities decide going forward? A lot of companies have lost money. Are you going to spend X amount of money to send your beat writer on the West Coast where it costs X? If those games are going to be on mess and the writer can cover the game. And as you said, are interviews in 2021 going to be on Zoom? Do you think reporters get back into the clubhouse? I'm not so sure about that. I, I think that in being careful and in wanting to make sure that players are as protected as possible, I don't know that clubhouse access returns in 2021 to the way that it did before or returns at all. I could see a scenario where Aaron Boone comes to the interview room, much like we see now with presidential or political press conferences. And within that room that used to have room for, I don't know, hundred to 120 people, maybe there's socially distanced reporters and things like that. But Kevin, it's a fascinating question. I am not sure I have all the answers, but I think it's very safe to say that it's going to be, it's going to be much different for all of us. And, and we're all going to have to adapt. We're all going to have to adjust. I have a friend who, um, Don Burke, used to be a Yankee beat writer. He's now an editor with the New York Post. 
he posted a picture on Facebook the other day and said, had to go into the post for the first time in five days to clean out my desk because they're doing a deep cleaning. And he took a picture of the newsroom. It was sad. Oh, yeah. It was empty. Every computer was shut off. It looked like a ghost town. And it was, it was a scene from a movie where the newspaper had closed down. And that was a very sad image for me to see. All right, I have one more question. Obviously, you've spent countless hours in press boxes, and you've watched thousands of baseball games, sporting events. If you could go back in time, and you could have go to one game, sit in the press box, or one sporting event, sit in the stands, what would that game or sporting event be, and why? I think it would be Don Larson's perfect game, Flip, because... No other pitcher has ever pitched a perfect game in a World Series. I, I think to be there on an afternoon where a guy who didn't know he was pitching until that morning when the baseball was in his shoe. And part of that is getting to know Don Larson a little bit post-career and obviously knowing David Cohn and David Wells, they subsequently pitched perfect games. I think that would have been an amazing game to attend. So that would be the game on my list. How about you guys? You asked the question, Flip. Do you, do you have one that you wish you had had attended? Um, yes. Uh, Roger Maris's 61st homer game. The last day of the season in 61 when he hit the homer off Tracy Stallard. Uh, that moment, that's one moment. It's not really a game. I mean, if I – uh, there's a, like a lot of games I would have loved to have been in the ballpark when Carlton Fisk hit his home run in the 75 World Series. There are all those seminal moments. I was fortunate enough as a producer to be in the truck for Kurt Gibson's home run. So, uh, you know, I, I've seen a lot of interesting, great moments. But uh, Roger Maris was a, was my idol uh, growing up. So, you know, I, I just felt he never really got his due. I mean, he got a lot of attention for being sort of understated and for being a uh, uh, very much a low-key low guy who just, you know, let his play speak for him, you know. So I, I got, had a lot of respect for him, and I, uh, uh, I got to know him a little bit toward the end of his life, and I was really glad that that happened. Uh, so in terms of memories that I, he gave me as a child, or a kid growing up, I was 10 years old, whatever, and then, um, and, and then getting to know him a little bit better when my career, my professional career started going, um, I uh, was uh, very much taken by him. So I would say that that one moment would be that, and then maybe game six of the 75 World Series uh, would have been uh, sort of great to have been uh, in the ballpark for. What about you, Kev? Yeah, so Mickey Mantle is my favorite player that I never saw play. So anything in 1961, the movie 61 I'm obsessed with, anything there, I would have said the Maris home run too. Not to steal flip, maybe I'll do my own then. I would say the 96 World Series when the Yankees won, that would have been great. I remember, you know, I was young, hanging with a bunch of guys. We were all going crazy when they won. One of my cousins, his hand went through a window. We were jumping all over the place. We had to go straight to the hospital. It was crazy. I would have much rather been at the stadium so I don't have to worry about going to the hospital. That, when people ask me best events you've ever covered, I talk about that 96 clincher because I started covering the Yankees in 9091 and they were, they were terrible. And Stick Michael, Buck Showalter, the rest of the organization, backed by the Steinbrenner family, were able to get that team in motion. And 
you're not supposed to cheer in the press box, but people are going to read your stories more often if you're covering a team that's successful. So that 96 team, not only was it successful, guys, it had a ton of storylines. So a young Kevin Sullivan was rushing his friend to the hospital, and older Jack Curry was typing away in a press box. Kevin, that was shaking because people <laughs> so long for the, for the Yankees to get back and win, and they finally did. And a, and a middle-aged John Filippelli was in the TV truck producing the game. So, listen, we've, we've taken up a lot of your time, Jack. We appreciate everything. Thank you for being part of our show. And, and uh, you know, you're a real asset to Yes, and you're, uh, you know, you're a really good guy. And uh, I appreciate you both as a professional and as a person. And I know Kevin feels the same way. So thanks for your time today. Thanks for having me on, Flip. Likewise, say the same about you, the same about Kevin. And I hope that my Curtain Call podcast gets a higher rating than Michael Case. <laughs> oh, we'll, thanks, Jack. We'll make sure. <laughs> we will. We will. <laughs> I love that conversation with Jack. We told him 15 minutes. I think we did it for about 45 minutes. I think we owe him lunch. At the very least. I don't think he won't ask for it. I was say, <laughs> you guys said about lunch. Where's my lunch? Uh, you also said you'd give him a raise. Uh, you know what? But you, as you've learned working for me, you can't believe the thing I say. So, <laughs> so he's not getting lunch. He's not getting anything. Um, he's getting a raise. He's not getting that either. But he's getting, he's getting a, a sincere thank you for Las Pacosa. You know, he pitched it for us at the last minute, and he's a uh, he's a really he's a terrific talent, and he's he's a really good conversation. And you know, listen, that that we we said fifteen. I don't know what we did with him. We did a long time with him, but we could have done uh, probably three hours with him. You know, because he's that interesting. He's got a lot of interesting stories. He's been around the game a long time, and he knows it well. I liked what he had to say about Clint Frazier. You know, uh, you talked about it a little bit at the top about his maturity. Jack really echoed that, having conversations with Clint pre-pandemic. A lot to look forward to with Clint Frazier, I think. He's got, he's got a lot of talent. You know, the organization is very deep in outfielders. You have to remember that now. You know, they've got Hicks signed long-term. You've got, you know, Judge, who's, you know, one of the best players, you know, in the game. Talkman has proved to be invaluable, can play all the outfield positions, can hit. you got Gardner, who's, you know, with the Yankees for two years this year and next. So, you know, he's got to find playing time, and he's, you know, obviously a real proven asset. So it's the Yankees kind of loaded in the Stanton. It's now on the I.L., but, you know, comes back. The Yankees are loaded in the outfield. They just are. So it's going to be tough for him to find playing time. But he's got to maximize his his impressions, if you will. Every time he comes to play, every time he's at the play, he's got to maximize it. He just he doesn't have the luxury of going two days in a slump. He's got to be able to hit, produce them when he gets in there. There's a lot of pressure on him to do so. But either as a player for the Yankees' future, which he very well could be, or he could be a, a trade trip, a trade trade chip which is very possible. They may do that. Um, and that's one of the things you do when you acquire talent. There's no knock on the player, but if you have so many, if that position is stocked, you know, then you start to use, maybe use that asset for something else. You trade that for some, some other need you may have. That's part of why, that's part of what good GMs do. They, you know, obviously get their lineup, and, but they build off that because you need depth and you need chips to trade for other pieces you may lack. So it's no knock on, on Frazier. Whatever way, any way you look at it, he's a valuable commodity. Switching gears a bit, while Jack didn't necessarily commit or necessarily fully agree with my assessment that the Orioles are going to make the postseason, I think he did kind of lean toward me, more, more toward, yes, they're a good team. What I want is, let's make a bet, a friendly wager. So you think they'll be in the playoffs? Yes. You're talking about this season? 
60 games. 2020. You're saying to me you think the Orioles are a playoff team. I'm going there. Okay. Why don't we bet a bowl at Chipotle? You get to pick the meat, the double, the triple, whatever you want. So that magical voice you guys hear, that's Matt Stucco. You might know him from the feed, but he's our producer today. What do you think of that, Flip? I'm I'm sort of fixated on this chicken bowl thing. I'm trying to think this thing. You know, it's nice that Stucco's involved. I like Stucco. I mean, a lot of people don't, and I understand why, but but I like him. <laughs> he's very underrated as a talent, as a person, as a producer. But but all right, putting that aside for a second, we'll get back to Stucco in a minute. Uh, so is it, do I get that if I win or I lose? If I lose, do I get that or you win, you get that? No, here's the deal. If they yeah. always make the postseason, yeah. you're buying me Chipotle. If they don't, I'm buying you Chipotle. Not that. No, no, not, no, you're not buying me Chipotle. We go, you buy me something else. I have a, <laughs> no offense to the Chipotle people. I know a lot. Joe Girardi loved Chipotle. Loved it. Uh, all right. You know what? I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Sure. I, you know, you guys could surprise me with whatever because the reality is that, unfortunately, there's just no way I'm not gonna I'm not gonna win this bet. Uh, <laughs> you, you really think the Orioles are a playoff team? So, what what leads you to believe that they are that? Just out of curiosity. The fun of a bet. Okay, so you think the Orioles are like tuned into this and they're going to be incentivized to like play better because we made a bet? Well, judging by our numbers the last couple of weeks, they might be listening. People well, are responding. Good, actually. Well, yeah. are good. People, they rate, review, subscribe. They know what's important to us. So they rate, review, and subscribe. Right? Very important. Right. Um, right. Okay. Well, listen, time will tell. All right. I'll take that bet. Okay. Let's take okay. that bet. So you're betting that they're, they're a playoff team. I'm saying I don't think they are. Done. Okay. We should also probably land the plane only because I have a meeting. I hate to pull the curtain back for all our listeners. Well, who's your meeting with? Well, I can't disclose that. Is it, uh, is it with some, are they high ranking people in the company? High ranking people and a major social media platform. Okay. Are they higher ranking than I am? Is there such a thing? There's only one. All right. So that, so they don't outrank me in the company. So, so I I'm guess telling I'm you pull off the meeting. Just hang out I'm with I'm staying us. here. Yeah. <laughs> what do you get? Just don't flip the button. We're not having a meeting now. It's easy. Oh, geez. See, we just pulled back the curtain for everybody. See, there you go. Set that on. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not already kidding. So to go to your meeting, it's important. I'm not telling you not to go to your meeting, you know. And, and I, I'll go to lunch. I'll take stuck out to lunch, and you know, we'll take me to Chipotle. That <laughs> sounds amazing. We'll be Joe Girardi there. We'll have a nice time. I'll see you in 15 minutes. I mean, life is subjective. Remember that always. Actually, as I said before, people, Girardi loved Chipotle. He just loved it. I said, "Where are you going?" He said, "Because we live in the same town, or we did for a long time." He said, "Where are you going?" He said, "I'm going to Chipotle," and and uh, he loved it. He loved taking his family there. It was, it was a great experience for him. So. Any which way. All right. So maybe they'll sponsor us. We get a sponsor. That'd be great. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. That, Stucco knows Chipotle, like personally. Do you? You know Mr. Chipotle? Yeah, he's about 180 pounds, uh, brown hair, six foot one. Wow, is he good? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I am Mr. Chipotle. <laughs> Mr. Chipotle. Remember, anybody seeing you is always Mr. Please don't forget that part. <laughs> well, Stucco, you've been invaluable. And are you doing this next week? That's a good question. I, we, I don't think we have a uh, content schedule. Well, just well, if we have content, we'll, we're getting Jason Marshall. So don't oh, worry. No. <laughs> uh, all right. So enough of these inside jokes. All right. So we're going to land a plane. Ready to land a plane? Yeah, land, it. land it. Land it. We're landing the plane. In the words of Ashley Fugazi, it's time to land that plane. So thank you very much. Thank you for your time. And stay safe, everybody. Please stay safe. This is crazy times. And don't, don't take unnecessary risks if, you don't, can't, if you can avoid it, okay? 
We love you guys. Uh, thanks for, for supporting us. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.